Well, as you can see by the communion elements directly in front of me, we will be participating at the Lord's table towards the end of our time in the Word this morning. And so I want to draw attention to the reason why we believe that this supper is serious and it is for those of us who actually know and love the Lord. The good news is, if you're here today and you've yet to receive Jesus Christ into your life as your own personal Lord and as your own personal Savior, uh, you can do that even now by believing on him that he, in fact, is the perfect sacrifice, the lamb sent from God to this earth to pay the price for our sin and in dying in our place personally for us. Um, He's paid the price for that sin which you've committed and by believing in him by faith the resulting grace giving you forgiveness of that sin placing you back into a right relationship with the Lord you can do that today by simply inviting Jesus into your life if you choose not to do that and you're here with us today maybe you're visiting and you're uncertain about where you are with the Lord then we would respectfully ask that you simply allow the elements to pass you by when they're passed out. Because to those of us who love the Lord, this represents the broken body and the shed blood of our Savior Jesus. And to us, it is a remembrance of what he did on the cross. And so we take it very seriously. The Apostle Paul actually went so far as to say it's so serious that to do so, to partake in an unworthy manner, uh, could be dangerous for you. And so we ask you and invite you to receive Christ before we get to that time of communion. As you turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1, a message that I've entitled Real Life as we began with an introduction last week, perfect communion message. Because the life that we have in Christ is a real life. And it is a revealed life. It is not a concealed life. And in fact, the life that we live, we now live for him, by him, because of him, through him, without him. There is no new life. And the lives that we currently live while we're on this earth are supposed to be a reflection of who he is. And so as the gospel author John, who now writes these three small letters to the church begins this first of the three by reminding us that Jesus actually accomplishes something in our lives that we can't accomplish for ourselves. And while, yes, it's true that we are forgiven of our sin by believing on his name, it is also true subsequently that Jesus is not simply my savior, but Jesus Christ is also my Lord. He actually rules my life. He's in control of who I am, what I am, where I go, what I do. He is the one that has provided this new life in him and he's the one that tells me how that ought to be lived. And so as we pick up in verse one and we'll reread from last week, but we'll pick up the first four verses. I want you to begin to prepare your heart to receive from the Lord's table. 
this incredible communion that we have because Christ died in our place. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son Jesus on Calvary's cross, dying in our place, paying the price to square our sin debt eternally in heaven. Lord, putting us back into a right relationship with you because of what you did for us. And so as we study your word today, we pray that you would bless us, be in the midst of this gathering, Lord. Do what you need to do in our hearts and minds so that we'll be ready to receive from your table. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, 1 John chapter 1, and that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, we've inspected closely, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the only life worth living on this earth is a life in Christ. I don't even know what people do. Before the service, I was back behind the stage with the pastors and we were talking about all the things that are going on in the world and we nearly simultaneously said, what would someone do if they don't know Jesus in light of everything that's going on in our world? What does that life look like? I can't even imagine. Because the life that I now live, I live because of Christ. Because of what Jesus did in my life. I have a different life than that life I used to live without him. My mind is being transformed. It's being renewed. I have put off the old man and am putting on the new man. Each day I I pray that I get a little bit more like Jesus. Amen? But man, the world is not heading down that path, are they? The world seeks for, for fulfillment in all kinds of different ways. Money, power, passion, possession. Those things which have been attractive since the beginning of mankind's time on this earth are still attractive today. But real life, The kind of life that's eternal, which is the focus here. That life can only be found in Christ Jesus as our Lord. You see, because eternal life is not just a really, 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 really long life. Eternal life also possesses a quality that is marked by God himself. It's a life that behaves acts like who God is. It's a holy life. It's a righteous life. It's a wonderful life. It's a kind life. It's a gentle life. It's a life lived by the Spirit and in the Spirit's control. And so John now goes on in verse 2. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father, was manifested to us. And this word which John will use multiple times here in these small letters, 
means to declare, it means to show, it, it, it means to make real. It is the type of presentation that one would say that is so heartily believed by that person that they actually live out what they say. Can I tell you that that is the issue that I think a lot of the church faces today? Many Christians live their lives in a very specific way as to try and receive only the salvation found in Christ Jesus. But they often skip the part that says, Christ Jesus, my Lord. My master. I sit in the back seat, he drives. You see, you can see a manifestation of Jesus when Jesus is Lord. When I care about what God cares about. When I try and think about things the way God would think about them, were he thinking my thoughts for me? The way I conduct myself, does it stack up to what God's word says? That is the manifested life in the life of a believer. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And so you can see this beautiful picture of koinonia, communion, drawing near to the Father through the Son, coming to that place to where we're one in body as the church and with God the Father and with God the Son. That's going to make us a whole lot like God, isn't it? It shouldn't make us like the world. And in that sense, real life, the life that we live in Christ, is a revealed life. And it's openly revealed. Now when you look at your Bible, the book of Romans plainly declares that the things that we can know about God, we can actually see them. His creative forces, his beauty, his creativity. We can see those things in the creation But the creation itself does not speak forth the good news of the gospel, nor is the creation transformative in and of itself. It only points us to God. So we still have to take that step. We have to say yes to the good news of the gospel. You see, you can see it and still do nothing with it. You can understand it and not receive it. And so this real life that John's talking about is the life that actually bears witness in your life and my life, the life of the church. There is a transformation that has occurred and that transformation is visible. You see, for a lot of Christians, they are largely Christians in name only. There is not much of that transformation that's occurred yet. And in fact, many people who name the name of the Lord are not living a revealing life about Jesus. They're still living a life that's very much like the life they lived before they met Jesus. 
They're hanging out with the same people, doing the same things. They're going the same way. They have the same wants, desires. And so John is challenging us a little bit, I believe. This revealed life should make us look like the one to whom we have pledged allegiance. The word of life. Jesus. The reason that we put so much emphasis on the study of God's word in this church and in Calvary chapels in general is because it is the word that transforms people's lives. It's not a beautiful oration by some person who may or may not be able to recount all kinds of facts and figures and science. and Those, those things are helpful for, for illustrative purposes, of course. But it is the word of God that speaks of Jesus that causes us to understand what he looks like and our goal is to become like him. He's the word of life. And we study the word so that we can look like what the word declares about life. So when somebody comes to me and says, well, I really have no desire to be, you know, like what the Bible says. So I don't want to go to hell, so I really want a savior. But this whole being transformed by the renewing of my mind, I kind of like my mind the way it is. Can I tell you, you have to actually ask yourself the question whether you know Jesus or not. Because the real Jesus won't leave you the way you were. The real Jesus is going to change your life. Because he is the word of life. You have to have the right Jesus in that sense. Most people know about you because of the things that you declare about yourself to them, do they not? You tell somebody your testimony or your life's history or your family history. Or, or maybe you, you go back many generations and talk about your genealogy and all those kind of things. When you do that, you're actually describing your own life to someone with your words. The reason that Jesus is called the word of life is because he described to us who he is through his word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, both John's gospel and the book of Genesis begin with this one who is the word in the beginning. That's where we start and where we end is being just like him, glorified. That's why the real life that we can now live in Christ Jesus is going to be transformative. And John's actually going to warn us. He's going to say, look, you, you need to be really careful here. You have to have the right Jesus. Because I can tell you that Mormons believe in a Jesus. But that Jesus is a brother of Lucifer. I can tell you emphatically that a Muslim will tell you they believe in Jesus, but he is a prophet. And he is definitely not the only begotten son of God. 
I can tell you that a Christian scientist will believe in Jesus, the ideal of a perfect person. I can tell you that Jehovah's Witnesses believe in Jesus, but he is less than Jehovah. You've got to have the right Jesus. And if you believe in that Jesus, then what's going to happen is you're going to start becoming like him. That's the beginning of the process we call sanctification, becoming a saint, a set-apart one. One whose life is now dedicated to being very much like Jesus, the word of life. So when someone comes to you and says, well, I, I, I want the salvation part, but this whole being like Jesus thing, I'm, I'm not really into that. Jesus had a word for those people. He said, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not done great and mighty things? For your name's sake. But he will say, depart, for I have never known you. You see, it's one thing to know about Jesus. It's another thing to know Jesus. If you know Jesus, your life is going to be forever changed. It will show up in the way you live. It's an inescapable work that will happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can't skip over it. And in fact, John is going to tell us in chapter 2, he who denies the Son does not have the Father. It's that simple. Jesus is the word of life. And what you believe about him determines where you'll spend eternity. A second thing that I saw in this passage is that this real life that we now live is an experiential life. It's experienced. It is one thing to be told about something. It's another thing to experience that thing. Amen? It's not simply imitated. It isn't that you learn to say the right things. It's not about you being able to speak fluent Christianese. I've met a lot of people. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you, brother. See you on Sunday. That's their whole relationship with the Lord. That's the entirety of the work that you see in their life. The real life that we live in Jesus is a life of experience to where the word of God is speaking out of you through the way you live your life. It's not secondhand. It's first person personal. It is something that becomes your life. You see, the apostles actually hung out with Jesus, amen? And in the same way as we study God's word, we're hanging out with Jesus. We're learning what he's like, how he would handle that situation, what he would do, the adjustments that need to be made in our lives. You see, if you walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the lust of the flesh are evident. The Apostle Paul goes on to write all these things that are not conducive to you walking as a child of God. But he goes on further to say, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and gentleness and meekness and self-control. And he goes on, he says, against those things there's no law. 
You see, grace experienced in a person's life changes one's life. That's what happens. And lest anyone become discouraged, it's not instantaneous. It's a lifelong process, but it's a process, amen? It's something that's happening to you. It's a direction you're choosing to go willingly. You're saying yes when the word confronts something in your life and you look at it and God has one opinion about it and you have another, you go with God's opinion. Amen? You see, we we call that the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's us surrendering our lives to him and saying, God, I agree with you. This area of my life does not show the experience that I have with you. It shows the experience I had with the world. You see, that's the only way we can commune with God. That's what happened at the cross. You see, there's some truths that ought to be true about us. Amen? It ought to be true about us, not just true. Do you understand the difference between those two things? You see, a truth is true no matter what you do or believe. It's true, period. But a truth that is owned changes you. Molds you, shapes you, makes you look, act, talk like, walk like Jesus. So a person who's born again actually lives a righteous life. Ow! You mean I actually have to be a doer of the word? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that goes with, it's a package deal. Savior, Lord. Amen? It's a package deal. This is not like a, this is not like a spiritual buffet. Well, I like the Savior part, skip the Lord part. Listen, I don't kind of, I really don't want the holiness. Can I just be carnal? You see, that's living a righteous life. When Paul writes to the church at Rome and he says there in Romans chapter 12 that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and then we are to present our bodies to God as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him, he actually means that. That's God speaking into our lives saying, you know what, hey Jeff, clean that up. Not, you do your own thing. No, he's really saying, you need to clean that up. You need to clean that attitude up. You need to walk a little different direction. And again, praise God, he enables us by grace to do these things. Amen? It's not an impossibility. It's actually supposed to be our reality. And we fall on his grace to get the job done. But you can't say no to it. You can't claim the grace of God while keeping the garbage of the world. We don't make a practice of sin. That word practice is interesting in the original language. It means to make habit of. It doesn't say that you won't ever sin. It says you won't practice it. In other words, you'll be really lousy at sinning. Do you understand why I'm saying that? Christians who are good at sin have a problem with God. 
Because he paid for our sin with his own blood. It's supposed to be part of our past, not part of our present. So we should be really lousy at sinning. Not proficient at it. Not well practiced at sin. You see, don't cheapen the grace of God by believing you get to keep your sin in God's grace too. If you're really a child of God, you're going to hate what God hates. God hates sin. Now you may hate it imperfectly. And again, this is not to put a guilt trip on anyone. It's just to simply say, you know the work of God by what it produces in your life. Amen? It will produce righteousness and peace and joy. Grace-filled living comes out of a grace-filled life. You've experienced salvation. You've experienced forgiving. That forgiveness is going to come out of you. That's why Jesus said it's unthinkable for a child of God to be forgiven and then to not forgive others. I'm going to heaven because my sin debt was paid by Jesus and my sins were forgiven past, present, and future. It's unthinkable. It is unthinkable for me who's been forgiven my entire debt of sin by the grace of God to now be unforgiving towards other people. It's unthinkable. So if you're one of those people that likes to hang on to your unforgiveness and your bitterness and your hate and your anger, you need to square that away with God. You say, Lord, help my unforgiveness. Help my bitterness. I'm still clinging to these things. If you really want God's kids, you love other God's kids. We're family, amen? Now you may not love all of your siblings the same. You may have a little different kind of love or maybe you would even say a little bit deeper love, but you love them all. It's amazing to me how many people who claim to be Christians don't actually like other Christians. Like, well, they always bum me out. You know, they keep talking to me about my life and my stuff that's going on. And just leave me alone, man. We're not meant to live in a vacuum. Part of what the cross did was bought fellowship for us with God the Father. It put us back into a right relationship with him through Christ the Son. And that also gives us deep fellowship with one another. And so instead of being overcome by the world, instead of our lives being turned upside down because the world is, is it's in a mess, isn't it? Our world is, is in trouble. I don't even know how people get along in this life without Jesus. You think about every day we wake up, we have the threat of nuclear Armageddon hanging over our heads. I'm like, yeah, bring one right here. I'm going to heaven. No, I don't actually think that, but it's that. I had to break the mood. You guys are getting a little somber. But yeah, you you look at the things going on in the world. You're like, what are we going to do? Trust in Jesus. 
He's got your past taken care of. He has your present taken care of. And he for sure has your future taken care of. Amen? Amen. And so we serve him in the here and now, knowing that our future is secure. You see, you don't want to be a counterfeit. You do not want to be a counterfeit. Some people just have kind of a religious experience going on in their lives. And it's a bummer. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of actually getting a a counterfeit $100 bill. I have. Got actually three or four of them one time. Somebody, of all places, paid us at a Christian camp in counterfeit money. Now, I don't know whether they made it themselves or got it from somebody else, so I'll leave that part between them and God. But I remember we did a deposit, and we go over to do the deposit in Lake Arrowhead, and all of a sudden... The teller goes, oh, we have a problem here. And I go, what? Well, your count's off. And I said, no, it's not off. I mean, come on, we counted this thing three times. She says, no, you have several hundred dollar bills here that are counterfeit. I said, what? Let me tell you something. You hold up a real one, you hold up a fake one, they look exactly the same. Same ink color, same symbols, same words. You get in the picture? Flip them over, the backsides, same on both. You know how you can tell the difference? That is very special paper. It's made in exactly one place in the entire world. And only official paper that has our bills are printed on feels like that. And in fact, that's the way the FBI actually trains people to spot counterfeit bills is by the feel of the paper. So when you actually feel it, when you test it, when you handle it, when it's put to the test, not by looking at the outside, but by touching it. Some Christians are counterfeits. They got the right ink. They got the right words. They got the right symbols. They got bumper stickers on their car. They got a big fat study Bible. But when you handle them, not a whole lot of Jesus. Be careful that's not you. Test and see that your salvation is true and sure. If you do that, then that real life is going to be a life you want to share with other people. I'm going to have the communion team begin to pass out the elements of communion. And as they do, they will hand out the bread first, followed by the cup. And I would ask you prayerfully and kindly if you would just hang on to both elements and we'll partake of them together. But you know, there's a lot of Christians that kind of hoard their salvation. John says here, we've seen and heard and we declare it to other people. We share it with other people. I had a funny story happen this last week, I had, a, I had a lady that called and, and well, she was livid. She's like, I can't believe what you do at that church. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going, okay, well, this, this might be good. And so I'm just listening. I had to move the phone out a little bit because it was a little loud. 
one of your parishioners. I always know when someone uses that word that they're mad. It's not people, it's parishioners. One of your parishioners had the audacity to give me one of your message CDs. How dare you try and convert me to Jesus? I thought for a second. But she was hot. I mean, she was mad. How dare you try and change my religion? And I quietly put the phone a little closer and I said, Ma'am, I said, if you had a truth that you knew would determine where someone would spend eternity, how bold would you be about sharing it? And there was a little bit of silence. She said, well, don't change my religion. I said, I'm not trying to change your religion. We're not trying to change your religion. We're trying to change your relationship and thereby your destiny. You see, a lot of Christians look at the cross and they kind of receive it for themselves. They believe it for themselves. But if you really received and you really believed then you can't help but share it with other people. You can't. You see, because a marvelous transaction occurred at the cross. And sometimes I I think that we don't see it the way we should. We use a lot of fancy theologic terms as well, we should... But there are two principal things that happened through the broken body and the shed blood. The first one is that a holy God who has always been holy, who will forever be holy, who cannot accept anything less than perfect holiness in those around him, made a way for your debt of sin to be completely taken care of by the shed blood of his son. We call that justification. And here's why that word is so important. Because the penalty of your sin was death, ultimately resulting in you being separated from God for eternity. You are, in fact, actually guilty. But God, in his marvelous plan for your life, through Christ Jesus our Lord, has chosen to wipe out the debt of that sin. He's canceled it. The full price has been paid. The price of your past sin... That snippy attitude you had getting into the car on the way to church today with your wife or your husband, that's in. And everyone that you will ever have from now until you go home to be with Jesus, you have been justified by the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Your sins have been judicially canceled. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Here's the crazy part. That's just the first part. The wrath of God abides on us without Jesus Christ. So he's canceled that price that was on your head. He's justified. Judicially, you're taken care of. But that's not all God wants. It wasn't just a legal transaction. It wasn't just that you had a problem and I had a problem. And without it, we'd spend eternity in hell. That is absolutely true. But his body was broken and his blood was shed so that we all all would be able to have our sin propitiated for. That means atoned. And the result of that is the restoration of the broken relationship that we had with God. You see, it's one thing to have your sins forgiven. The price paid. It's another thing for God to want to actually have a relationship with us. The word atonement. You see, because God wasn't just about a legal transaction with you. God actually loves you. And God sent Jesus into the world to prove that love. So he did both things by dying in your place. Oh, praise the Lord, he's forgiven our sins, past, present, and future, by believing on his name, amen? But he's also restored you back to a right relationship with a completely holy God. So you now can talk to a completely holy God, even though you're still unholy at times, amen? That's how powerful the blood of Christ is. It's covered the rest of your stuff. It covered your past stuff. It covered your today stuff. It's going to cover your future stuff so that when God sees you, he says, I still want to have a relationship with you. Because the truth is, you probably all know that at some point in time, the next 24 hours, you're probably going to do something that's not okay with God. Now, maybe some of you are better than that and you're, you're going to make it two days. There's the holy back row people, maybe a week out of you, I don't know. But there's none righteous, not one. By the works of the flesh is no one justified, made judicially clean. But here's the good news. God actually so loves us that when he sees the blood of Christ, he covers so he does not have in view your present and your future sense. He doesn't even see him. He wants that relationship restored. So when we think on the sacrifice of the cross, it's a real life of fellowship. The fact that I get to talk to the king and the Lord of heaven. And he hears my prayer. I wouldn't listen to me. Out of all the people on the face of the earth, and, and if we're honest, I think each one of us feels the same way. 
I, I talk to people almost daily that are struggling with God's grace for that very reason. They know themselves. I don't deserve God's grace. You're right, you don't. That's how amazing the cross is. You're right, you don't deserve it. But because of God's grace, you're going to receive it anyway. You're, you're going to have it anyway. You're going to get to walk with God anyway. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. And Jesus, when he was with the disciples, on the night that he would be betrayed, knowing all these things would transpire, having full understanding of where he would go, what would happen to him? He took out the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. John was there. John, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. Let's remember Jesus. And then after supper, imagine what John would have thought about that 24 hours later. Having seen Jesus beaten and crucified. But imagine after supper when Jesus took the cup. And he raised it to his own lips and he drank from it. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the complete remission of your sins. It's the cup of grace. It's the cup of forgiveness. It's the cup of understanding. It's the cup of restoration. It's the cup of everything without his shed blood. Our sins remain. There's no justification. There's no atonement. No propitiation. No sanctification. None of it comes without the blood. Jesus said, as often as you drink of this cup, do so in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Would you stand with me and we'll pray. And then we'll close in worship. Lord Jesus, first we remember you. What you did on that cross is an absolute miracle. You in one fell swoop crushed the head of the enemy. You took down death. You canceled our debt of sin. And for anyone who will believe in you, Lord, that sacrifice shows up on our account judicially, forgiven, cleansed. And on top of that, you restored fellowship with us. What we lost in the garden through Adam, we gained through you, Jesus, on the cross.
we can walk with you and talk with you. We're so grateful, Lord. And we do remember you. And we honor you and we bless you. You indeed are our king. You're our Lord, our savior. You're the prince and the ruler of heaven and earth. And so God, we thank you for the peace that we have by the cross. Jesus, help us to live our lives for you. May we be real in the way that we live. In Jesus' name, amen.